Okay, so if I can invite you to turn to uh, Matthew 6, which is our uh, reading this morning, which is on page uh, 970 in the Church Bibles. Okay, so chapter 6 of Matthew, verse 9. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And forgive us, our, give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive many people, sorry, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. Thank you so much, Trevor, for uh, bringing us that Bible reading. I hope it's okay to say, but do be praying for Trevor in his work as well with the Society of St. James, with, particularly with the cost of living crisis intensifying. Um, he's right at the sharp end of providing for some of the most needy people in our city, as well as serving in the church as an elder. So do remember Trevor. Well, uh, as you probably know, we're uh, going through the Lord's Prayer in our morning services uh, in the next few weeks, and uh, I'm just going to begin with a bit of a confession, which was that, if I'm honest, I was a little bit envious of Chris getting Our Father in Heaven. I can only blame myself because uh, I kind of organized the program, but... Um, I have to admit that afterwards, I mean, it was a fantastic sermon Chris did last week. If you didn't read it, if you didn't hear it, please watch it online. It was excellent. Um, but I have to admit, I did feel I'd slightly drawn the short straw when it came to the hallowed be your name bit today. And I was trying to reflect on why I felt that. And uh, I think one thing is that in my day-to-day -day life, other than talking about the hallowed turf of Wembley, for the football fans among you, I don't think I ever go around describing things as hallowed. Do you? I don't think I do. It's just, it's just not language I use or easily relate to. Uh, in fact, if you type the word hallow into Google, all of the suggested searches that come up are about Halloween. So... It's just not very easy language, for me at any rate. I don't know if it's like that for you. So, you know, the Lord's Prayer is definitely my favorite prayer. And uh, I use it most days as the guide to my own prayer life. Uh, but I've kind of been reflecting this week that when I pray the Lord's Prayer myself, I often start our Father in heaven and I pause for quite a long time, just enjoying a Father is, who is so tender and yet so powerful and how glorious it is to be held by this wonderful fatherly love. I love that start to the prayer. And then, because I'm the sort of up there and at it busy type, thy kingdom come, I'm pretty keen to get there as fast as I can because that sounds exciting to me. And hallowed be your name, 
<laughs> too often it's the bit I pass over rather too quickly in quite somber tones in order to get to the next bit. There's my confession. But I have to say, I'm really grateful that I had to stop and think about hallowed be your name this week. I don't think I've ever preached on that phrase before. I don't think I've ever heard anybody else preach on that phrase before. But as I've thought about it, I've realized that actually this is not a prayer to hurry over. This is actually a life-changing prayer, a foundational prayer, a very important prayer because it confronts us with the question as to what we believe is most important in life. You see, to hallow something is to hold it as sacred. It's to make it the object of our worship. And of course, everyone worships. Even the most secular people worship because everyone has something that they regard as of supreme importance. It could be their body image. It could be a relationship. It could be their popularity. It could be making their mark. It could be fitting in and not being noticed. It could be their wealth. It could just be maximizing their pleasure and minimizing their pain. But all of us have something that we pursue as ultimate in life. And that thing is what we worship. Everyone worships something. The only question is whether we get to choose what we worship or whether it's just something subconscious and under our radar, given to us by all the voices that shape our values. And you know, I want to suggest that not knowing that you're worshiping something is actually very dangerous. Because to quote David Foster Wallace, the American author, if you worship the wrong thing, it will eat you alive. Because what you worship determines your choices. It sets your priorities. It takes your life over. Ultimately, it makes you its slave. Because it's the thing you regard as most important, for which you will sacrifice other things. But this prayer of Jesus, hallowed be your name, brings all of that out into the open. Because when I begin the prayer, hallowed be, the way that in my life I actually complete that sentence tells me what I worship. It exposes the orientation of my heart, which is why this is not a prayer to rush over but a prayer to ponder and to reflect on and to go deep with. I want to speak to you about three things briefly. First, about the decision around worship, which is to do with the object of worship. Jesus says we are to pray, hallowed be your name. Now, do you feel how radical that is? This is a declaration of war on the narcissistic self-obsession that is our default position as human beings and is openly encouraged by many voices around us. You hear them, don't you? You do you. That's all that matters. Look after yourself. No one else is going to. Maximize your pleasure. Minimize your pain. You deserve it. Build a world around yourself. Now, there is something right in some of those things because self-care is actually very important 
And God doesn't call us to neglect ourselves. But self-centeredness is toxic and destructive. The well-known pastoral counselor, Selwyn Hughes, once commented, in all the years I have worked as a counselor, I have never met a happy, self-centered person. The self-centered are the unhappy and the frustrated. They express themselves, but then they don't like the self that they express. But here, Jesus is giving us a prayer to push back on all of that. A prayer that helps us to choose to find our joy in another. A prayer that takes me off the throne of my life and puts the glory of God there instead where it belongs. A prayer to redirect my worship away from myself and my self-centeredness and towards God and his majestic glory. And what a God we're talking about here. Hallowed be your name, your name. In the Bible, a name isn't just a label. It represents the whole person. Dick France says, God's name is a recurrent Old Testament term for God himself as he is perceived and honored by people. So this is a prayer that celebrates God's justice, God's wisdom, his beauty, his power, his holiness, his purity, his goodness, his eternality, his sovereignty, his compassion, and yes, supremely, his love and his grace. Hallowed be your name. May all of what you are, the God of heaven, be celebrated and savored in my life. Because the God who is there is a God who exists eternally as a community of perfect love and joy. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit endlessly delighting in each other's perfection, always preferring each other's glory, ever fulfilling each other's desire. There is no other vision of God which enables you truly to say that God is in himself eternally loved. Yet this is the God whose name we joyfully choose to hold as sacred and supreme. Hallowed be your name. In churches, we invest an awful lot of energy into debating how we worship. And to be honest, sometimes I think any of us can risk worshiping our preferred style or subculture more than we worship God. And of course, that's really just another version of the very self-worship that this prayer is designed to push against. But the biggest question is not how we worship, but who we worship, the object of our worship. And we mustn't decide that by default. We need to decide it by conviction. And it must be God and only God. Hallowed be your name. But then second, I want to talk to you about adoration, which I'm describing as the heart of worship. Alice and I had a wonderful day last Saturday. We were up in Merseyside for the wedding of uh, Rachel Denno and David Bacon. Some of you will know them. Uh, they're both young adults here. And it was an absolutely fabulous day. We so enjoyed it. And towards the end of the uh, reception, 
they, they gave this kind of combined speech, and uh, it was very funny, it was quite cheeky, it was hugely endearing. But the speech finished with uh, Rachel looking at her new husbands and just saying, David, I adore you. Now, most people, to be honest, couldn't pull that off and sound authentic, could they? <laughs> but somehow Rachel could, and it was just one of those stunning moments where we all felt our emotions kind of choke us up. I suggest to you that to hold God's name as sacred is to regard him with an adoration that is in some way shadowed by that kind of vision of what Rachel said to David. It's deeply reverent, isn't it? Adoration. For God is holy and other and transcendent and majestic and pure and beautiful and overwhelming. And to adore him is to be still before his splendor and to be in awe of his holiness and to catch our breath with wonder at the mystery of all he is, which is so far beyond us. It's deeply reverent. But this adoration is not the reverence of abject terror but of utter delight and of trembling joy, knowing that this God is completely desirable, rich in mercy, inexhaustible in grace, and abundant in the love with which he moves towards us. And to adore him is to absorb with deep delight that he cares about us and longs to be in intimate relationship with us. So that through Christ, we can call him Abba, Father, as Chris said to us last week. And friends, this adoration isn't just about what we do for an hour a week in church. It's about choosing to begin and to live each day in adoration of God. Deciding to invest our joy that day, not in ourselves and in our dreams, but in another. Investing our joy and our hope. In God, who delights in us. It's not only about church. But it is still about church, let me say. And it is about the attitude of our hearts as we come to church. And as we participate in worship together. Let's ask ourselves the question, even right now. Am I frankly here to watch the show? If it is a show, I hope it's not. Am I here merely to decide whether I approve or disapprove? Am I here to consume and have my cultural identity validated and affirmed? Am I here to criticize and pull down? Or am I here to adore the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in the mystery of the Holy Spirit? Why are we here? In the words of Archbishop William Temple, worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of the conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of the mind with his truth, the purifying of the imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of the will to his purpose, and all this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable and therefore the chief remedy for that self-centeredness, which is the original sin and the source of all actual sin.
All of that is packed into this little prayer. Hallowed be your name. But of course, the worship that stops at the door of the church building as we leave is frankly no worship at all. So I want to speak to you finally about action and the lifestyle of worship. In Romans 12, verse 1, the Apostle Paul urges us, in view of God's mercy, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And then he adds, this is your true and proper worship. So we are to honor the name of God as sacred, not only in our words and prayers of adoration, but also in the actions of our daily lives, 24-7, wherever he takes us. You remember the third commandment that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai, which says that we must not misuse the name of the Lord our God. Chris Wright, the Old Testament scholar, says literally it's, you shall not lift up the name of the Lord your God to worthlessness or vanity. Got that? You shall not lift up the name of the Lord your God to worthlessness or vanity. In other words, it's perfectly possible for us carefully to avoid all blasphemous speech, to come to God and lift up his name in our singing and in our prayers, but then as we leave to dismiss another person with withering disapproval or damaging gossip. Friends, when we do that, we are lifting up his name to worthlessness and vanity. It's the action of our lives that are give him glory, not just the words that we speak in church. Or if in our place of work we are known for high commitment to the church and low commitment to our organization and the quality of our work, then friends, we're lifting up his name to worthlessness and vanity. Or if we would never miss a church members meeting, but we regularly miss the needs of the people, in our neighborhood and city, and have no compassion for the poor, we're lifting up God's name to worthlessness and vanity because it's how we live that is also to glorify him. Last Thursday, I had the immense privilege of taking a Thanksgiving service for Jonathan Beer, who used to be an elder here. Some of you remember him. And during the service, we heard from Jonathan's first boss at IBM, where he'd worked for 35 years. And we also heard for, from, uh, from family and from friends and from his church and from the local community and various others. And the stunning thing was that it was exactly the same message from all of them. Whichever way you looked at Jonathan's life, it was the same. Jonathan worked to the highest standard in everything, and wherever he was, he treated everyone with the same interest, respect, and care, whoever they were and whatever job they did. It was said that if Jonathan walked down the corridor at work, it always took longer than expected because he stopped to speak to everyone on the way and made them feel they were the only person in the world. Just the same, wherever he was. It's no wonder that with that level of integrity and gritty day-to-day -day determination to live for the honor of his God, someone who was in no way a Christian reflected that if anyone could lead me to Christianity, it would be Jonathan Beer. Of course, he was fallen and flawed like all of us are. 
But Jonathan understood that worship was not just his Sunday best. It was to be his daily lifestyle as well. His adoration was to overflow into action that treated people well and expressed the love of God. And it showed. And lots of people noticed. So why not make it your habit slowly to pray this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, each morning this week? Just start off for this week. Maybe it will go on for the rest of your life, but let's be realistic. Start this week. Every morning, pray this prayer slowly. And when you get to the hallowed be your name bits, don't do like I've done and rush on. But just take the time to reflect. Time for decision. Who and what will I worship today? Time for adoration. How will I feed my heart and mind and imagination with the goodness and holiness and majesty of God? Time to resolve, to set the course of my actions that day. How will I lift up God's name? Not to vanity, but to glory and praise in the choices I make in the words I say, in the actions I fulfill. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name.